I want to invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be continuing in our study called The Upside Down Life as we look at the Beatitudes. Uh, Now, when we get to this point in Scripture, it doesn't seem like it'd be thrilling to study. It doesn't sound fun uh, to talk about hopeful mourning, uh, but that is exactly what we are going to be discussing today. I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of a dream at, at one point that you just didn't want to wake up. I think that this happens often to us, uh, that we have moments of great sleep where we just simply do not want to wake up. All right, so full confession here. Uh, what, this happened to me several times when I was actually working with a fire department and I would be asleep. Uh, the tones would go off and for us to go on a call and everyone leaves the station and they get into the truck only to find that I was still in bed. All right, so this is actually a big problem. I've had several times where my lieutenant has had to come over to me and shake me and say, you have a call, get up, what are you doing? Uh, But that wasn't the first time. It actually started when I was younger. All right, so often uh, my mom would have a difficult time of getting me out of bed in the morning. All right, does anybody ever have that problem? Okay, only if you didn't raise your hand, you're probably a liar. I'm kidding, okay? But so my mom threatened me after pushing the limits uh, because I just found that, you know, getting up for school wasn't an adequate excuse to ruin a good night's sleep. Uh, But my mom finally came to me. She said, if you do not get out of bed, I'm going to dump you out of your bed and I'm going to pour cold water on you. Now, I thought to myself, my mama is way too sweet for that. There's no possible way that she would do that. But here's what happened, okay? A few more days of testing the limits and to see whether or not my mom was serious. Uh, one morning, I did not get up out of the bed and she came back. She dumped me out of my bed. Uh, this was like just a couple of weeks ago. No, I'm kidding. I was in seventh grade. <laughs> All right, this was in seventh grade. All right, my mom dumps me out of the bed and she pours a cup of cold water on my head. This is a true story. All right, she's probably going to deny it, but I'm telling you this happened. There's no worse way of being kind of getting into that wake up uh, than being dumped out of your bed in cold water on your head. It is not uh, very good. You know, but oftentimes in life, uh, we experience these types of wake-up calls that are not desirous, to say the least. We experience wake-up calls that, that we think that everything in life is going fine, everything is going our way, and then all of a sudden you get this one call and it changes the entire trajectory of your day, your week, your year, and maybe even years, decades to come. Maybe this wake-up call was early for you. Maybe this was when you were young and your parents had to explain to you what life was going to look like now that mom and dad are getting divorced. That's a bad wake-up call. Maybe, maybe you got the phone call of a loved one that, that just passed away. Maybe you got a, a phone call about maybe a, a disaster that has taken place, maybe a car accident, maybe a diagnosis from the doctor that, that came to you. And, and listen, these are all types of wake-up calls that not one of us in the room desires to have. 
Not any of us desire to have a moment of sorrow. None of us desire, we never wake up in the middle of the day or or in the morning and say, hey, I cannot wait to see what's going to grieve my heart today. I can't wait to see what's going to cause a season of mourning in my life. You know, it's interesting to me because as you look at the Beatitudes, And you look through the progression of thought from Jesus and how he lays out the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount. When he starts in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, when he says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Nobody puts those two terms together. They're completely incompatible to say, bless and impoverished. And so you know that everybody is thinking, okay, what is, what is this guy talking about? What is this rabbi? What is this teacher? What is, he, what is he doing right now? And you know that as he continued into the sermon, you know that everyone must have been leaning in, just anticipating, okay, what is this guy about to say next? And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, just as crazy as the previous verses, it's just as crazy, just as absurd to think of this. Blessed are those who are poor, and now you're saying blessed are those who are mourning? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, happy are those who are unhappy. Happy are the sad. If you want to have blessings in life, then why don't you mourn? There's nothing that really makes sense about this. And I'll tell you, there was a promise in the Old Testament. When we think about, okay, what is hopeful mourning? What does it mean to mourn with this in- this type of hope that is deep within us. You see, Isaiah talked about this before Jesus ever came on the scene. This isn't, if they were familiar with any of the law, they would have heard these words before. Because we see it in Isaiah chapter 61. And so if you have your Bible, I want to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 61 And if you are able and if you are willing, would you stand with me as we read uh, this passage together? We're going to read the first three verses of Isaiah chapter 61. It says this. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees, planted by the Lord to glorify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now, Lord, that you would take your word, and God, that you would apply it to each of our hearts. 
Father, I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, God, that these words would penetrate our hearts and that we may know you better. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may sit down. You know, just as much as you want to hear a message on morning is about the equivalent of how much I want to preach on the passage of morning. Uh, Because no one wants to hear about mourning. No one wants to hear about sadness. Uh, Nobody wants to hear about grieving or sorrow. It's not something that you would uh, display in order to grow a crowd. But as Jesus had this crowd, that is exactly what he did. Jesus thought that in this introductory moments of, of the Sermon on the Mount, that it is important for us to realize that blessed are those who mourn, that there is a promise in here. And what we see from Isaiah chapter 61 is that this promise is going to be fulfilled. It is in the future, but there will be a day that a king is coming, that everyone who mourns, they will be provided with blessing. Everyone who mourns, they will be provided with comfort. Everyone who is grieving in their hearts, they will be mended. Jesus opens up in Luke chapter 4. We see Jesus going to the synagogue, and he stands up, and he opens up the roll to Isaiah, and he goes down to this passage in Isaiah chapter 61, and he begins to read from this passage. As Jesus finishes reading that passage, he sits down, and he says, all that you have heard today, guess what, is being fulfilled right now. What is Jesus claiming? He's saying, hey, the Messiah to come that Isaiah was promising is right here in front of you. The the person, the king who was promised that was going to turn your mourning into comfort, who was going to take your ashes, going to remove those, he said, is right here in front of you. And this is what we need to understand. Even in the world today, I mean, if you think about it, no one in the world wants to mourn. In fact, we do everything we can to stay away from mourning. We do everything we can to eliminate sadness, eliminate sorrow. We are a culture of thrill-seeking. We are happy if we have money. We are happy if we have time. We are happy if we have leisure. We are happy if we are pursuing amusement or entertainment. No one is saying, I hope that I get to mourn today so that I can be happy. But if we want to understand Jesus's world, as he is turning our expectations of how to live upside down, once again, he's saying, no, 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 not blessed are those who seek amusement, but blessed are those who are mourning And he says, this is the way it is in my world. This is how it actually is in my kingdom. And what we need to realize is that first, in order to understand really what is this mourning all about, he's saying there are things that you should mourn. There are things that you should not mourn. There is a biblical mourning. There is a unbiblical type of mourning. And in the biblical sense, what we see first is that mourning is the result of universal brokenness. Universal brokenness, meaning that you and I, we can look around the world today and we can identify exactly where broken, brokenness exists. 
You can see broken relationships. You can see people broken with disease. You can look across and understand that that natural disasters are everywhere. There's still turmoil in the Middle East. There's still division in our own nation. And we see that there is brokenness at every turn. In every aspect of culture, there is brokenness. And the reason why is because of what takes place in Genesis chapter 3. You see, oftentimes when we think about sin, we think about it in personal terms, in ways of uh, the fact that it has affected the way that we act toward others. But what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that sin goes well beyond our actions, and it has infiltrated every aspect of creation. That there is not a single creative being that is untouched by sin. In fact, nothing is apart from sin. And this is why we read in Romans chapter 8, Paul makes it very clear for us in verses 19 through 21. It says, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying that all of creation, not just humanity, but all of creation is moaning and is waiting in anticipation for what is decaying before us to be restored once again, to be made new once again. All aspects of creation. And we live in a world that of unending tragedies. We live in a world that that you and I can easily see how this is being played out around us, the sin, the universal brokenness that is around us. And because you and I are followers of Jesus, if you understand God's law, what we see is that those who are moving away from God are the ones that are moving toward devastation, that are moving toward brokenness. And we can identify that those who are walking apart from, away from God, are the ones who are walking toward this brokenness. That even in our own attempts to mend things, To make that which is broken, to make it whole in our own attempts, what we see is that you cannot do that apart from God's design. That you, if you try to fill your life with happiness, if you try to fill your family with happiness, then you cannot do that apart from God's design because we are in the midst of universal brokenness. And this is why the psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 119. Verse 136, it says, my eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instruction. You see what the psalmist is saying? He's saying, I am completely broken because of the devastation that I see around me. I'm broken. I'm filled with tears because of the pain, the turmoil, the the devastation of tragedy around us. He's saying, listen, I know this is because people are trying to fill their lives with anything other than God's law. And he's broken over this. The question for us is, what, what do we do when we see brokenness around us? Are you pulled in toward mourning or do you try to ignore the devastation so it doesn't affect you? 
Do you push the tragedies away from you so you don't have to internalize, so you don't have to feel it? And Jesus says, not blessed are those who can escape tragedy, but blessed are those who mourn. It's this understanding of acceptance because we know that in the end, it brings blessing. We mourn this universal brokenness, but we also mourn personal brokenness. You see, this is what we see, secondly, is that mourning is the result of personal brokenness. And remember, this comes right on the heels of an understanding that blessing is reserved for those who are poor in spirit, those who are spiritually impoverished, those who recognize it. And so there's this internal glance of understanding that we are impoverished, and then there's this outward expression of our poverty. It's called mourning. You see, what Jesus is getting at, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and blessed are those who accept it, who understand it, and who are drawn in to mourn their personal brokenness. You see, there is this call for all of us to mourn our sin, not to ignore it, not to just deal with it, not to live with it, but to be freed of it by mourning our sin. You see, Augustine wrote this, About 1,600 years ago, he said, my sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. You see, sin is incurable when you don't understand that you are a sinner. When we ignore the fact that we are spiritually impoverished, it never brings us to the point of mourning because we do not recognize our sin before God. But see, this is exactly what we see in the life of Isaiah. This prophet, one of the greatest of all times, he finds himself standing before the throne of God. And immediately all he could say in Isaiah chapter 6 is, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. This woe is me. This This is the wording. This is the narrative of understanding that he is broken over his sin that he is grieving his, his sin, that he has sorrow within him because he recognizes his sin. He says, woe is me, I can't stand in front of this holy God because I am a dreadful sinner. He says, I live among a people of unclean lips. You see, oftentimes we think that the process of mourning gets us to salvation and then it's done with. You see, that's not what happened with Isaiah. Isaiah, as he was in the middle of this, he's a believer in God, but he understands his sin that's in front of him. This is the same thing that we see in the life of Paul, that the the conviction of sin, the mourning of sin did not end at conversion. For Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus and he was blinded by the light and Jesus said, Saul, who are you persecuting? And he's saying, listen, come to me, stop persecuting me. Paul is saved, but it's in Romans chapter 7 that we see the struggle continue. In Romans chapter 7, verse 24, it says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
And what we need to understand is that this is a cyclical movement in the believer's life, that we mourn our sin, not to the point of salvation, but as a continuation of growth in Christ Jesus. As you grow, the better you understand your sin. The deeper you know Jesus, the deeper you understand your depravity before a holy God. What we see is if you mourn, the promise is you will be comforted. You will be comforted. What does that mean? Well, number three, we see that comfort is the result of God's forgiveness. You see, those who mourn are blessed because it leads to the comfort of those who are forgiven. And this is the progression that we see even in the life of David in Psalm chapter 51, when we see that David is completely broken over his sin with Bathsheba. And this is what he says in verse one. It says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. You see what David is recognizing is his sin before God and his only, only way to deal with this is to grieve, is to mourn his sin. And what is the product? Psalm 32 says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You see, this is exactly what we see in David's life, that yes, he is broken by his sin, but he is immediately comforted by the forgiveness that only comes from God himself. We see the same thing on display in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says this, it says, when they heard this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when they heard it, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the, the apostles, brothers, what should we do? You see, they were pierced to the heart. What does that mean? It means that they groaned. It means that they were grieving. It means that they were mourning their sin. That's what being pierced to the heart means. And what is their response? Peter says, repent, be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what will you receive? You will receive the Holy Spirit. It was almost as if Peter could come back to the Sermon on the Mount and hear the words of Jesus. If you are forgiven, then you can be comforted. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are pierced at heart for your transgressions because you are the ones who will be comforted by the Spirit of God himself. And why is this important? Because the fourth thing we see is that comfort is the result of God's presence. You see, it was the forgiveness of our sins that ushers in the presence of God. And if you want to know what the greatest comfort that you are seeking, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of your trial, even in the midst of your suffering, you can hang on to hope because you are given the presence of Almighty God himself. He's saying, listen, yes, I'm going to forgive you, but I am also going to live inside of you, that we are promised the presence of an almighty God. Can you imagine at that very moment that, that Peter, when he is in the middle of the sea, 
And Jesus comes walking to them on the sea. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of this suffering, they think they're about to perish. And Jesus walks to them on the water. What was it that was so comforting? It was that Jesus didn't send a delegate. Jesus didn't send another disciple. He didn't send another boat. He didn't send another person to fetch the disciples. Rather, he went himself because in our lives, the greatest comfort that you and I could ever experience is the presence of God himself. That you and I, who are broken, who are spiritually impoverished, if we mourn our sin, we can have the fullness of God's blessing because his comfort is right here, and he's willing to give it to each and every one of you. Isaiah 25, verse 8 says, when he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth for the Lord has spoken. You know, I don't know exactly what you are facing. I don't know your story. I don't know if you received a bad wake-up call this week. But here's the promise of God himself. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for you will, you shall be comforted. And here's what is happening, because we see the same thing in Revelation, that when we stand before Jesus, on that day when we meet him face to face, for those who are in Christ Jesus, the mourning that you have experienced, the, the affliction that you have lived through, the trials that you have endured, guess what Jesus is going to do? He's going to reach out with his hand, and he is going to wipe away every tear. The promise here is that the trial and suffering that you are experiencing is, is being reversed even as we speak because all things will work together for your good and for the kingdom of God, for those who love him. You see, when we love God, we mourn our brokenness because we trust that it's going to lead to comfort. No matter where you are, no matter what you're experiencing, this is the promise of God. Will you just bow your head with me and just close your eyes right, right where you are? And will you just think about that? Just think about this question. Have you ever mourned your sin? And have you ever experienced the comfort of his forgiveness, the comfort of his presence. Because this is not just future tense, this is right here, right now, that Jesus is reaching down to you to save you and to give you this comfort that you long for. If you would just trust in him, if you would just give your life to Jesus right now, he will hear your voice and he will save you. Heavenly Father, we give you this time. And God, we ask Jesus that you would work in our lives in ways that only you can. 
And God, I do pray for the person right now that you are stirring in their heart. God, that you would call them to yourself. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.